and I just thought at 23 I'm about to lose all my independence and just never be able to be the athlete I want to be never be able to be the physio that I want to be and just never be able to live the life that I'd expected for myself from stylist this is nobody told me stories of life love grief success and failure and the lessons learned by the women who survived to tell the tale I'm your host Lisa Smazarski, editor-in-chief of stylist in today's episode, we're joined by British parasport athlete Kadena Cox. Kadena started her sporting career as an able-bodied athlete competing regularly in national athletics championships as a sprinter, where she regularly won medals. But at the age of 23, Kadena suffered a stroke, and later that year, a diagnosis of multiple sclerosis, which shattered her sporting dreams. As part of her recovery, Kadena moved her attention to parasports, where she excelled as both a runner and a cyclist. She went on to compete in the 2016 Summer Paralympics, where she broke records by becoming the first British Paralympian in over 30 years to win golds in multiple sports at the same Games. This is Kadena's story in her own words. Hi, my name is Kadena Cox. Nobody told me that getting diagnosed with MS would then lead me to being a household name and a history maker winning two Paralympic gold medals. I was quite um, an active and adventurous and experimental child. My mum tells everyone that I walked at seven months and didn't crawl. (laughs) So I started dancing at the age of four um, and danced right through until I was 14, at which point I couldn't manage dancing all the other sports I was doing. So I um, was quite a keen hockey player and at 14 I started doing athletics as well. So I was really focused on uh, kind of the sporting side of my life. I also was academically doing quite well. Um, so I was either head in the books or out on some kind of playing field. In my early teens, I wanted to be a PE teacher. That slowly changed into wanting to be a physio, which is kind of what I work towards in my, my A-levels. My mum um, is Jamaican, um, so she moved here when she was in her teens, um, and I grew up with her and my stepdad. In our household, um, growing up, there was uh, five girls, and then my mum had another two kids when I was about 15. We have a brother and a sister, so there's seven of us in my crazy household. Running for me was just... Um, it was freedom. Obviously, being one of uh, seven children, the household was always busy and there was always a lot going on. And I'm, I'm quite an introverted person and just being able to get away and escape to, you know, just being able to run, just me and my legs just kind of turning over and just being able to challenge myself and push myself, working hard to beat my PBs and, you know, putting the grafting in training. It was just, I just loved the feeling of going fast. Like I always said, it was my happy space. In terms of my sporting career in my late teens, uh, there was a point where I thought uh, I really want to go to the Olympics and I, I think I have the potential to go. I had a really good year in athletics and I was uh, top four in the country, but um, that was at the cost of uh, my place at university. So I actually didn't get onto a physio course. So I did a sport and exercise science degree. After four years, I did a physiotherapy degree. We were going to a competition in Loughborough um, and my friend Kim lived in London and said she was going to come up and stay with me in Manchester um, and then we were going to go down to Loughborough together. 
I said I wasn't feeling great. Um, I'd been getting some headaches. Um, but, you know, I was like, yeah, I'll be fine. Like, I'll get down to the competition. But when I actually drove down, I got out of the car and I had uh, what I can only explain as a dead leg. And I thought, oh, it's just because um, I've been sat in the car for two plus hours and, you know, driving. Like, I'll be fine once I've warmed up. And then I tried to run and I really couldn't get my, my right leg to move properly. I just didn't have any force. Like, I couldn't uh, drive out of the blocks. And then I, I raced and it didn't go to plan. And um, then I did the next race and I, I, I nearly fell across the line. And I was just like, something's not right. I had this kind of excruciating headache. But I thought, oh, I've been racing. I'm dehydrated. I get dehydration headaches all the time. I'll, I'll be fine. Like, I just need to keep drinking, stay focused. And I had uh, my friend Kim and another friend Roy in the car and they were both feeding me Haribo's. Um, and we were just trying to get back to Manchester. And I probably left it another day because I did go to, I had um, an end of season ball. I used to work for Manchester United. I kind of got ready to go out and I remember cutting myself with my razor. Some kind of shin was all bleeding. Um, I burnt myself with my curling tongs um, just because I couldn't grip onto the curlers properly. It, I shouldn't have been at the ball. My friends were practically holding me up um, like while we were there and I, I couldn't walk. I probably shouldn't have worn heels when I could barely walk in flats. Everyone thought I'd been drinking loads, like I just came across as being very drunk. And then the next morning I woke up and I couldn't move my right side. So that's when I called the ambulance and it ended up in hospital. At first they thought it was Bell's palsy and it was just kind of a facial paralysis. And then I was explaining to them that my uncle had had a hemorrhagic stroke the year before um, and they got a bit more worried and decided to do a CT scan, um, at which point they saw this um, lesion on my brain and then did the MRI scan and said, kind of, we think you've had a stroke. The interesting thing was I was in the first year of my own physio degree and we were we just moved on to neuro and the area we were studying was stroke. When I had gone down to Loughborough um, for the competition, I had actually seen a physio um, and she thought I was overthinking it. I'd spoken to, my, to a few of my friends who were a bit like, you know, that doesn't seem right. But I was like, oh, guys, I'm just overthinking it. Like, it's just because I'm I'm studying stroke and that's the reason why um, I'm thinking, oh, this could be a stroke. And I was 23. I was so well. Like, it was the beginning of my athletic season. Like, I felt like I was in really good shape. I was just really happy with where I was at in life. I was just like... I cannot be having a stroke, like, I'm really healthy. I, I kind of train all the time, I don't smoke, barely drink, like, th there's no reason why I should be having a stroke. And I, I think, yeah, like, I knew something wasn't right, I guess, deep down, but I was just like, no, but I'm overthinking it. So I, I just kind of pushed it to the back of my mind. I guess it was a scary thought that my, my uncle, like I say, my uncle was quite young when he had his stroke the year before me. Um, he was in his early 30s, I think. He's had quite a severe hemorrhagic stroke and um, is quite severely disabled. So that was a scary thought, just having watched him going from being a young kind of gym-going, healthy guy to being so dependent on everyone. The stroke that I had wasn't as bad as my uncle's, but I knew that there was a chance of me having another one, at which point then it could get worse. Um, and I was already felt like I was kind of I'd lost my independence as it was like when my family came to visit they were all having to do stuff for me I was struggling to communicate I am a very chatty person and not being able to communicate was so frustrating and I just thought at 23 I'm about to lose all my independence and just never be able to 
be the athlete I want to be, never be able to be the physio that I want to be and just never be able to live the life that I'd expected for myself. I think I was in hospital for three weeks before they discharged me. I asked every day if I could go home. Weirdly, I lived across the road from the hospital. So I was in the hospital every day to do physio treatment. So I was in every morning at 7.30 with my physio for like the next kind of two or three months. They were really positive about how my recovery would go at the time just because of, I guess partly because of my personality, but largely because of my age. Just four months later, I was kind of back. They'd probably say it was like back to 85, 90% my normal. I was really happy with where I was at. Training was going well. Like I was getting back to normal. And then I kind of woke up. um, I think it initially started in the soles of my feet. I had this um, tingling sensation in the soles of my feet. I went to my mum's GP and they said it could have been post-stroke symptoms. I was like, okay, as long as it's not another stroke and it's just post-stroke. And then I started with a burning sensation just in one really small kind of one inch spot of my my forearm and then that kind of spread throughout my right arm kind of daily it got worse and worse kind of over the course of four days and then I think it was a Thursday morning I woke up I remember that morning clear as day because I just remember waking up trying to move and just being in agony having all these weird sensations not being able to move well um and I just screamed my mum I was in hostel for couple of days and they were just doing tests and no one was really saying anything and I kind of got frustrated and we were just a bit like can you tell us what's going on like is there anything and that the the consultant came over with his registrar and just said um we think he might have um something called MS multiple sclerosis it caught me so off guard I think the stroke was one thing but um MS I know is a lifelong condition. I'd actually spent some time uh, when I was doing home care. Um, there was a lady who used to always be so lovely. Um, she was quite severely affected by MS and I'd spent quite a lot of time you know, chatting to her. And she was a lovely person, always happy, but she was quite dependent on other people. It kind of knocked the wind out of my, my sail, essentially. Like it just, I feel like my whole world just stopped at that moment. The first thing me and my mum asked uh, we both just said, will she still be able to run? And he said, at the moment, I don't see any reason why not. You um, you should be able to hopefully get back to some form of running. And that was kind of a nice feeling, knowing that there was some hope of being able to run. So with MS, you, it's an autoimmune condition where your immune system is attacking your central nervous system, so your brain and your spinal cord. And that means that you can have so many different symptoms, but some of the the more common ones are muscle spasms, sensory disruption, whether that's tingling, burning, numbness. You can have bladder and bowel problems, cognitive problems. Then you can have problems with your eyes, which is really common. A lot of people have mobility problems, so they struggle with walking. One of the worst symptoms I find um, is just fatigue. I um, also have a speech um, issues so I um, struggle to control the muscles in kind of my mouth and my throat um, which then means I struggle with speech and being able to speak clearly. There's no cure currently if you're severe enough there's medication to try stop you from um, having relapse so disease modifying treatment and then you have a lot of symptom medication so I'm on uh, medications for my sensation issues and for my spasms mainly. Nobody told me that 
having a stroke and being diagnosed with MS as a 23-year-old, which was a really negative moment, uh, would then be turned into such a positive. I am a very optimistic person. Um, I mean, it probably only took a day or two before I actually started fundraising. There was uh, this talent back thing going on that I'd seen someone else doing. Um, so I decided to put this talent back together to raise £3,000 to help me get back into sport and um, get back to being the best um, athlete I could be. Just get back to being a version of me that, that I recognised. So I stayed with my parents for a couple of weeks and then I decided I wanted to go back to uni. I felt like I needed to not lose my independence. I did my first lecture and just spent kind of the whole time in pain, unable to concentrate. And then I, I just was leaving. I, I was crying my eyes out. I think I just realised I actually couldn't do it. My uh, course lead, or my, my year lead, um, saw me walking out um, and she was just like, Kadina, come with me. I was told that I, I, I wasn't allowed to come back to university until my MS was more controlled and I put on some weight. My personal tutor got a taxi back with me to my halls um, and called my parents, um, told them to come and get me from my halls. And I then ended up housebound for pretty much two months, unable to do very much and just in constant pain. My medication wasn't very controlled at that point. So after about two months, I eventually was able to go back to uni. My first kind of running experiences were at the back end of 2014. So I decided, and I kind of told my physio, I was like, do you know what, I'm just going to go and do a race and then I've got a benchmark to know where I'm going to get to. I think by that point I'd realised that I was probably never going to be able to be an able-bodied athlete. I mean, I couldn't at that point run without my arm going into spasm and falling over. We'd Basically, the only way we'd worked out I could run is if I had my um, arm strapped against my chest. It was horrible to start back running. Like, it it was good to be running. Like, I was so happy that I was getting back to my happy place. But I raced um, with people that I used to race with and just seeing them run away from me was uh, kind of heartbreaking, just um, knowing that I, I was no longer as fast as what I was. And I, I was realising I was never going to get back there. It was just really hard knowing that I was no longer going to be the Kadena Cox that I remember. It's actually quite a natural thing to just fall into Paralympic sport. My my old athletics coach, he'd worked with the uh, on the Paralympic team, so he'd been to a few games beforehand and worked with visually impaired athletes. Because he'd done the, the Paralympics already, he kind of knew the people to contact and he'd worked with Paralympic athletes. So it was really easy for me to just kind of slip into that. And as soon as I'd realised that I was never going to get back to being as quick as I was, I just kind of, I basically pestered British athletics until they got me classified. So classification within Paralympic sports is basically just a way of making it fair for the competitors. So you're basically classified by a disability and how it affects you. Um, so in athletics, I'm a T38, which is for neurological conditions that are mild. And then within cycling, I'm a C4. So I was doing kind of loads of work in the gym. Just um, I couldn't do very much. So I was doing loads of work in the gym. I was falling over a lot in the gym. Um, we were doing really basic weights and just basic movements just to try improve my balance and then I'd spend a lot of time on the watt bike because um, it was stationary and if I fell off I was just falling to the side um, so it was a really good thing for me to be able to do. My powers were pretty decent so I started doing some bits and pieces with 
cycling um, and I was kind of in the velodrome every morning with the head coach and he was showing me around, get, like letting me know everyone. Not long after I got my athletics classification, I got my cycling classification and I was a bit like, yes, I'm classified in two different sports. I mean, I think, yeah, my, my cycling coach knew that I was doing some athletics but he didn't realise what level I was doing it at um, and I think vice versa. The more I kind of got involved with the sports, the more I realised that doing two sports is not done and yeah, it probably wouldn't work out. And then it wasn't until I was selected for the Athletics World Championships that my cycling coach finally found out what level I was training and competing at within athletics. So 2015 was my first major championships um, after my diagnosis. It was the Athletics World Championships. Um, and I went there and I managed to break the world record in the first round and become world champion in the final. And then um, the following March, the March 2016 actually, I did uh, my first cycling world championships um, and became cycling world record holder and world champion. It was so overwhelming, like I didn't expect to do it. I was a bit shocked and over the moon, obviously. It was a bit of a, a weird one. Like I was just like, oh my God, look, look at all the stuff that I've had to battle in in less than a year, I've managed to turn it around and become world champion, which I thought was a pr pretty great achievement. <laughs> People say when you kind of get a diagnosis like MS, you need to mourn your old self because uh, you're just not that person anymore. I did put on a lot of weight after my MS diagnosis. I was put on steroids and obviously I was bed bound and just, yeah, eating and um, not moving. I, I managed to deal with all the other things that kind of came my way in terms of my diagnosis. But putting on the weight is one thing that I've never really been able to deal with. I just don't feel like me and I don't feel comfortable in my own skin. I went into Rio 2016, I, I, my classification changed and I knew I really had to up my game to be able to achieve what I wanted to achieve at the Games. And um, within cycling, there's a lot of talk around power to weight. Basically, I, I was overtraining and under eating um, to the point where there was like, gym sessions where I felt like I was going to pass out like I'd catch the bar and the clean and feel like I couldn't stand up um, and I was uh, cycling in and out of training and uh, going home in between sessions just so I could do the extra kind of two rides like there and back. So I've already always had some negative choices around mating but it became really reactive in that um, I would emotionally eat and then if I'd emotionally eat and then I wouldn't eat for kind of long periods of time or I'd start making myself throw up and then probably after that championship is when I started playing around with laxatives. It was just uh, something that luckily I managed to get away with at the championships um, and I was able to perform well enough to take the gold medal but mentally I was broken. Um, it was actually a, an interview I was having. I don't even remember how we got into the conversation, but I ended up just um, kind of offloading everything that was kind of in me onto this lady while she was interviewing me. Um, and it was at that point, it was kind of picked up and um, actions were taken to support me. I was essentially a nobody going into Rio 2016 um, and no one had achieved what I was setting out to do. Um, so no one really knew anything about me. Like I put a lot of pressure on myself prior to heading out there 
But when I got out there, I was just like, there's nothing more you can do apart from doing the best you can. So I was really uh, just quite uh, positive and just trying to stay focused on the job at hand. I managed to win four medals. So my first medal was a bronze in the 100 meters, which was my favorite medal, uh, mainly because I went from being number one in the world and world record holder um, in the T37 class to then have my classification changed to T38, um, at which point I went to being number nine in the world. So technically I should have not made the final. So being able to get a bronze medal was, um, yeah, it was uh, amazing. And then went on and won my first gold medal, um, which was an amazing feeling. I actually hate every single picture from um, after that win because I was a blubbering mess. Um, but that was the moment where I became the first person for I think it was 28 years to win a medal in both sports. It was just that realisation that I'd achieved something that I'd worked so hard to achieve. And a part of the reason why I was doing it was to kind of encourage other people with lifelong health health conditions that it doesn't have to be kind of a death sentence. It's not like a stop, you are no longer going. It's just um, a door that's closed and you have to find another one to go through. In terms of uh, my eating disorder, I think a lot in my mindset has changed. Like, yes, I have negative feelings towards food and negative feelings towards myself, but they're just nowhere near as extreme. And I'm able to manage my anxieties a lot better, manage my, I guess, reactions a lot better and manage my eating choices. And I feel like I'm in control and I've managed over the last few months really uh find a love for cooking again and find a love for like actually enjoying meals and yes there is blips like it there are, there are always going to be blips that's one thing that i had to come to the realization of that an eating disorder isn't something that just goes away it's something that's always going to be there taken away in the background and you will have blips but it's just uh knowing that i can overcome those blips so i'm in such a better position than what i was 15 months ago and i'm able to deal with challenges a lot better I think the last few years have just taught me patience and that even when you do everything right, there's always the chance for a setback. But to not see it as a massively negative thing, just to see how you can um, really come back from that. Like I say, I had the really bad injury in 2018, which I thought was going to end my career. Um, I managed to come from, back from that. Um, obviously, I managed to come back from my health issues, the eating sword, like I managed to come back and... It's just accepting that things will change and you'll have to adapt. There is an up after the down. Um, and yeah, I think I've, I've learned so much about myself and, you know, just being patient with myself. You're listening to Nobody Told Me. I'm your host, Lisa Smazarski, and you've been listening to the story of Kadena Cox. There are so many parts of Kadena's story to unpick. To be an athlete in any discipline takes an unbelievable amount of hard work, dedication and physical and mental strength. And it is this strength which Kadena seems blessed with. Her running career prior to illness was impressive enough. But to find the mental capacity to recover, firstly from the life-shattering effects of a stroke, aged just 23, and then months later, a diagnosis of multiple sclerosis, a chronic disease that affects the nervous system and subsequently muscle strength, sensation and coordination. 
to then swiftly return to sport is nothing short of remarkable. Kadena says she went from constant pain to Paralympic gold, which sums that journey and spirit up. In everything she's done, from the recovery of her stroke to the confrontation of the eating disorder which plagued her, she demonstrates the determination and dedication that also make her a Paralympic gold medal winning athlete. Including that, her tenacity to be recognised as a para-athlete, her insistence she would compete as a runner and a cyclist, and you can see the ambition that drives her success. We all live in real hope that we will never face the challenges that something like a debilitating illness can bring. But role models like Kadena prove that if we do, it really isn't the end. For Kadena, it was clearly physically and mentally tough but also the start of a new unexpected chapter. Kadena has taken hold of her life, her choices, and worked hard to fulfil the ambitions she always had, and she has the gold medals to prove it now. It's a lesson that will serve us all well, whatever our world may come to look like, or our dreams may be. To keep in touch with Kadena's story further, you can follow her on Instagram at cad21. We'd love to hear your thoughts on this series of Nobody Told Me and the incredible stories shared by our guests. So please do leave a rating or review in the podcast store. And if you have a story and the lessons you learned from it that you want to share in a further episode of Nobody Told Me, or you know someone else whose story we should share, email ntm at stylist.co.uk. And don't forget, for more inspiring stories from women around the world, visit stylist.co.uk. Thank you for listening to Nobody Told Me.